Each time I come back here, I have to fight um, being overwhelmed because I have history with this place. I was here many, many years ago before I knew the Lord and came to the Tony Awards that the play that I was in on Broadway was up for some awards. And it was this wasn't a church yet. This was a theater. So I go all the way back to that. And uh, I remember the day when uh, Times Square Church got control of this place. A few of us walked in back there. It was David Wilkerson and his wife Gwen and a few others. And the, uh, the men that were the, the union stagehands that were... Uh, they were throwing the, the um, scenery of a play that had just closed, an abomination of a play that had just closed that we've been praying about. All the scenery was going out on 51st Street, and the saints were coming in the front door. Hallelujah. <laughs> it was tremendous. And um, I was ordained the minister of the gospel at this spot. It's over, overwhelming to me that it would be in a Broadway theater where I came as a heathen, you know, many years ago. <laughs> And uh, my wife and I, Pastor David Wilkerson, laid hands on us at this spot. And he spoke 19 years ago. And he spoke that this, God, this, this church, this congregation, will stand with Israel according to his word. And that this is the first fruits. Because the gospel is to the Jew first. And also to the non-Jews. And that this church would be a sending church. So we were the first, and uh, when I come back here and go up in some of the offices, and I see people with backpacks and suitcases, and I hear what's happening in Jamaica and uh, Africa and all the other, it's just wonderful to see how God is not only impacting uh, New York City and the metropolitan area, but that he is uh, reaching the nations and that he is restirring the, the, the need for the church to stand with Israel in these last days. So if you'll open your Bibles, let's, let's look at 2 Peter. As you're turning there to, to the second epistle of the Jewish apostle, Kepha was his name, Peter, Petros, Rock. If you're interested, my books and Peter, uh, Pastor Peter's books that are back there about what's happening in Israel and other things, our newsletters, uh, CDs and DVDs. If you're interested more about what God's doing in Israel and getting involved, you're welcome to go, you know, check all that out. Okay. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19. And we have the prophetic word confirmed or made more sure, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. We are encouraged here by the Apostle Peter that the prophetic word is our light in the darkness in which we live. So you can watch the news about Israel or read the New York Times or whatever, and you'll get certain kinds of information. But we need to know what does the Word of God say about Israel and the Jewish people, especially in these last days, so that we are aligned with God's Word and with His heart. And it's a warning here that the prophetic Word of God is sure 
And we need to heed it until the morning star, Jesus, Yeshua, keeps rising in our hearts and we see the, the prophecies fulfilled. Now, I have a Ph.D. I was a seeker of truth. I'm a doctor of philosophy. And I had all the books, every philosopher you ever heard of. I had a whole library trying to find truth. But when I met Jesus, I met the truth. And I found the truth. And so all the other stuff didn't matter anymore. This matters. And I had felt, I felt robbed for, why didn't anyone tell me years before? And so I devoured the word of God. And so as I began devouring the word of God and learning to get filled with the Holy Spirit and learning to hear the voice of the Spirit, the Spirit told me to go to Israel. I wasn't married. I could pick up and go. I got on an airplane and I went to Israel. And when I got to Israel, I drove up to Jerusalem. I started to weep. My father was a historian and I love history and, and so on. And, and, and Jerusalem... There was something different. It, it wasn't New York or London or, or Naples. It would, there was something about this place. And as I got there and went into the Jerusalem, I saw all of these Jews. And I was reading the history of what had happened about the, the War of Independence in 48 and the Six-Day War and the Yom Kippur War and all of that. And I saw, they're, they're, they're back from a hundred nations. They came from all over the Middle East and Europe. And I see all these Jewish people here. And so I read, uh, for instance, look at Isaiah 11, or I'll just read it to you if you just want to listen. For instance, as I, as I searched the scriptures there in Jerusalem many years ago, there are many, many scriptures you could look at about this, but Isaiah 11 really spoke to me clearly. It was the prophetic word of God made more sure to me that was light in the dark darkness that I was trying to understand. What is it about Israel? What does all this have to do with anything? And so in verse 11, Isaiah 11, 11, it says, It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again a second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left from all these different nations that are named there, all through the Middle East and so on. And a lot of the Jewish people had come from Muslim nations where they had been persecuted and had to flee. They'd come back to the, to the nation after it was established miraculously in 1948, after the, they, they escaped from the Holocaust and so on. They had a, a safe place to be. And he says, verse 12, he will set up a banner for the nations, a sign. It's a sign for the nations. And the Lord was speaking to me about all of this. And he will gather the outcasts of Israel. I saw that over 50 times in the scriptures, it says that he who scattered Israel will gather him. And I, I stood there and I said, this is now. This is the prophetic word. This, you know, biblical prophecy is simple. It's simple. God says he'll do it and then he does it. You know, he says he's coming on a donkey. He came on a donkey. 700 years before the Messiah was born, he said it's going to be Bethlehem. They came in Bethlehem. I've stood with Orthodox Jews in Jerusalem. He says, look, it says Bethlehem. No, no, that's Christian. No, no. I said, look, it's Micah, Micah. And they'll say, oh, I better go talk to my rabbi. I don't understand that. <laughs> but God said he was going to do it, and he does it. We have the sure word of prophecy that Peter was talking about. Jerusalem is mentioned 900 times in the Bible. 
How many times do you think it's mentioned in the, in the Quran? It's not there. Do you understand this is this what is going on is about the word of God and the fulfillment of God's word. Now, turn to Acts chapter 1. When Jesus left before he comes back the second time, he was on the Mount of Olives. And you would think that the last words that the Son of God would say to his followers and disciples would be a very, very important. And I'm wondering if everybody here knows what the last words were. It wasn't the Great Commission. It was verse 8, Acts 1.8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. My wife and I and Peter, we are here as God's witnesses. We are witnessing to you. We will teach the theology, but we will witness to you what we have seen, what we have tasted, what we have experienced. Biblical prophecy is empirical. That's a big a academic word means that you can prove it. If he said he's going to do it and he does it, that's the, that's the word of God. That's what's happening. So he says, you will be witnesses to me or my witnesses. And if you look at the end of, well, let's read verse 11. He also said, men of Galilee, this is the Jewish Messiah, the root of David and the offspring of David, Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah still. Judah means Jew. It means praise. In heaven, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's what Revelation says. Hallelujah. He's the lamb of God on the throne, but he's also the lion of, and he's coming back. He won't be coming on a donkey, folks. He's coming in glory to judge the nations. Hallelujah. <laughs> Men of Galilee, why, you, why do you stand gazing up into the heaven? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. He's coming back exactly as he left. And we know that from Zechariah chapter 14, his feet will be on the Mount of Olives, the very place that he left. He's coming. Hallelujah. I'm sorry to tell you, he's not coming to Central Park. You pray that there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit of Central Park. But he's coming to Jerusalem and he's coming to the Mount of Olives. The Lord will fight against all those nations that come against Jerusalem. Zechariah 4, 3 and 4 says, and his feet will be on. He's coming back to the exact place where he left from. You know, as, as I stood on, uh, on the Mount of Olives, I'd go down into the Garden of Gethsemane and read the, all the account, the four accounts of what happened there. What he went through and getting close to the heart of Jesus the, years ago in, in Israel. And then go on the Mount of Olives and I would read these things. And I would realize, this is what's happening today. We're moving toward this now. And I am privileged to live in these last days, the end times. And somehow God is giving me this tremendous burden and burning about Israel. Now, when will his feet Stand on the Mount of Olives. Well, turn to Matthew 23. We're interested in this. And his disciples were interested in this. They asked him, how will we know when you're coming back? Well, you know the great chapter 
Matthew 24, which is, if you want to study what's happening in the last day, Jesus told us in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. Study those two chapters. It's all there. And we get some of it sometimes, you know, people, there's going to be great deception. The heart of many, agape love of many is going to grow cold. All those things, earthquakes and all the rest of it, you know all of that. But, but look at verse uh, 13, Matthew 24. He who endures to the end shall be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. Now, praise God that this church is getting the gospel out as a witness to all the nations and many other churches around the world. Now, for those of you that may be, if there are any uh, people of Arab background here or have a concern about that, I want to tell you something. We have a congregation on Mount Carmel that is Arabs and Jews. We oversee an Arab language meeting that will be meeting tonight in, in Haifa on Mount Carmel. We planted a Lebanese church that speaks Arabic. Well, I've been to Indonesia. I've been in a church that has 30,000 people, and most of them are ex-Muslims. There are 30 new evangelical congregations in Baghdad alone. There are 30,000 new believers in Iraq. There is a revival going on among the Kurds. There is a, there is a revival going on in Egypt. God is moving all over the Muslim world. And these Muslims that we come to the Lord, they read the scriptures and they understand God's purposes for Israel and we embrace one another. Hallelujah. So the gospel needs to go to the ends of the earth. And it is. And we, we need to keep praying and sending and sending and, and, and stay back with the baggage and pray if you can't go, but get involved in it. Hallelujah. That's tremendous. But there's something we miss. There are no uh, chapter numbers when, in, when Matthew wrote this on a scroll. You know, Levi was his name. So go back to the beginning of Matthew 24. Well, the end of Matthew 23. Matthew 23, verse 37. Here's Jesus and his heart for Jerusalem. And look what he says. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as, as a hen gathers her chicks under your wings, her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house has left you des desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There's an until there. The Jews have been set aside as all the Gentiles come in until he's speaking to Jerusalem. He's speaking to the Jews. He's speaking. He's weeping over Jerusalem. He's jealous for Jerusalem. That's his heart. And he says, you're not going to see me until you say in Hebrew, it's Baruch Haba Bashem Adonai. We sing that. We prophesy. There are now approximately 15,000 Jewish believers in Israel. More Jews are turning to the Lord now than any time since the book of Acts. But when they say that when there's a national repentance and, 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 and crying out to the Lord, whatever it takes for us to get there, when, when there is a national anthem of Baruch Abba, B'Shem Adonai, he's coming back. And his feet will be on the Mount of Olives. So this, this is two-pronged. Pray that the gospel goes to the ends of the earth and pray that the Jews turn to their Messiah. So he'll come back. Hallelujah. Now look at chapter 24, verse 32. 
Now, look, he's talking about the end times. He's talking about what we're all about here today. Jesus, this is Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God talking. Verse 32, after he tells us all these things that are going to happen, you know, he said it, it will be like the days of Noah. You know, giving and buying and selling and, and going to parties and, and marrying. I, I was praying in Central Park yesterday. Pastor Carter happened to call me while I was praying there. I was watching all the people. You know, I used to play softball over there, you know, the Broadway show league and all that. So I was watching the kids that ba go starting baseball. All these Asians are jogging and keeping in good shape. And, you know, it was, it's, people are ice skating. And I thought, this is the days of Noah. They don't know what's coming. Praise God for those, the, the remnant of people that know the Lord out there. But they, they think Broadway and taking pictures and all that. Is important, but my friends, Jesus tells us what's going to happen. And as the Jews turn to Jesus, we're getting closer to the end. Israel is the key to the end times to see all of this. Now, look at verse 32. Now, learn the parable from the fig tree. Israel is the fig tree. How, why do I say that? Because Israel is called a fig tree in the Old Testament over and over and over. And there's a great longing in the heart of Jews for centuries that they read the scriptures and the Psalms, we'll come back to the land and sit under our fig tree. Now we have a drug rehab. We established the first one in, in, in Israel and, and uh, it's called House of Victory. It's on, on Mount Carmel. We have fig trees there. They've been pruned. And when you see the fig tree bud, look what it says. When the branch has already become tender and put forth their leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation shall by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will by no means pass away. My friends, the fig tree can be Israel in biblical understanding. The best interpretation of the, uh, of the Old Testament is through the New Testament. And here, Yeshua, Jesus says, when you see the fig tree bl blossoming, know that I am near. In 1967, Israel did not want the Six-Day War. It was a miracle. If you've ever read what happened, there's a joke in Israel. We fought for six days, and on the seventh day, we rested. And it was miraculous. And I know, met three of the paratroopers that went in there. They were at a conference we did in Jerusalem last summer. They're older men now. And the famous picture of them at the wall, weeping and so on. The Jews had longed to get back to the Western Wall, which is the retaining wall of Herod, the second temple. The Jordanians kept bombing Jerusalem and Israel was asking Jordan to stay out and they didn't. So they went in and they took the wall. Israel finally reunited Jerusalem after centuries. After the Romans had destroyed the place. After the Romans had killed or, or put into slavery two-thirds of the Jews. The Romans crucified 90,000 Jewish people. And they stopped because they ran out of wood. And for the Jews to then be thrown out of the country... And the, the, the Jewish believers, there were thousands of them in those days. They knew it, what was going to happen. They knew it. Because the Lord had told, you know, it's all in the scriptures. But when they took the old city, you know, 
when Pastor David Wilkerson came out to dedicate our new building, we've built a new congregational building up on the top of Mount Carmel. We have the ten stones around the altar, a skylight for the fire to fall. We're restoring the altar of the Lord on Mount Carmel like you're restoring the altar of the Lord in New York or wherever you're from. Hallelujah. But Pastor David Wilkerson, after we dedicated the, the building, he, we went to Jerusalem and he said, I said, what would you like to do? And he said, are those believers from Germany, do they still have that? Two ladies, two sisters, have that prayer house on the Mount of Olives. I said, yeah, they're still there. So he said, let's go there. So it was Karen, myself, and, and Pastor David and his wife, Gwen. We met with these two German sisters, and they told us the story. Uh, they lived in this little house on the Mount of Olives where, all the, where he's coming back. <laughs> and had prayed, since, and they were there in the Six-Day War. And they said when the bombardment started, they went down in their cellar, after it was over, it was quiet. They came up. The Jordanians were all gone. All the equipment was left there. And they're, they're, the two German ladies' building had been destroyed. And the only thing they said left standing, a Bible was standing up on the, on the floor of the place, these elderly ladies. And they said, the Jews were back. And we realized Luke 21, 24 is being fulfilled, that, that Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, that it's being fulfilled in this very day. So that was 1967. Do you know what happened in 1967? Those of you that were alive, it was the big, the hippie thing started out on the West Coast in San Francisco in the summer of love and all that stuff, drugs and free, you know, everything. And, and, uh, it, but in, out of that came the Jesus movement. And you know what happened in the Jesus movement in the 60s, late 60s? Hundreds of Jews turned to the Lord. They were, they were in the New Age looking for truth. You see, the fig tree started to blossom. We're right, we're tracking. We are now about to celebrate the 60th anniversary of the nation of Israel. When we go back, President George Bush is coming. Now listen to this. Three divisions of the Syrian army have just moved up close to the Israeli border. There's warnings all across the north. Hezbollah now has 3,000 rockets, according to the Secretary General of the UN. 10,000 long-range rockets. They fired 4,000 two years ago. I mean, that's what we're going back to. Why? Why is the enemy so furious about Israel? Why little Israel? You know it's smaller than New Jersey? I mean, people come there and say, my God, just drove across. At one point, we're nine miles wide. You know, surrounded, six million Jews surrounded by, by 300 million people that don't want them there. I mean, that's, that's the reality on the ground. So what is it about all of this? Well, the 60th anniversary. All this, the Lord downloaded all this to me years ago, and I mean, it's been growing over the years. I come back to New York after that first time in Israel, and I meet her. <laughs> Hallelujah. And we made up for lost time. We fell in love and we got married and, and she's a Jew and I'm a Gentile and we're the one new man. That's what this conference is all about. Now, the church started as the one new man. That's the way it was. I mean, why does the church, why do Christians, why do Gentile believers have a debt to the Jews? Have you read Romans 9, 10 and 11? I mean, where would you be, we, where would we be without the patriarchs? Without Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Where would we be without the prophets? 
Where would we be without the Word of God? They're the curators. They're the ones that guarded the Word of God and wrote it down, note by letter by letter, century after century after century. Where, what a debt we have to them. The covenants, the law, how to live a, a godly life in an ungodly world. The one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in, 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 in a world that was filled with, with idolatry and, and godlessness and still is. All of this came from the Jews. And greatest of all, the Messiah. The human, they're the human channel for the Messiah to come and save the world. Oh God, the one new man. You know, it says we're being built together a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. That's the way it all began. Read the, read the New Testament. The first, I was reading this just the other day. The first piece of theology in the great Roman letter is what? You know what it is? It's Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God. It's the power of God to salvation. To the Jew first. And also to the Greek. I've heard it quoted everywhere. I'm not ashamed of the God. It's the power of God to salvation. Yeah, but you leave out the Jews. What did Paul do? Paul, Paul made himself, he said, a prisoner for the Gentiles' sake. He, he was in jail. The, the Jewish apostle to the Gentiles. What, where would you, we, we be if he hadn't obeyed the man from Macedonia that said, come to Europe? Hallelujah. He was all Jewish apostles. I've been to India. I've been on the mountain where, they, where the Hindus uh, crucified and skinned alive the apostle Thomas. And people there say, we go all the way back to Thomas. That Jewish apostle brought the gospel to India. Now there's a huge revival going on there. We have a debt to the Jewish people. The church started that way. Let's, let's read Ephesians 2 quickly, part of it. I, I know Pastor Carter read it a minute ago, but I, I just want to read part of it again. Verse 11, Ephesians 2.11. Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at the time you were without Messiah, without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. The world, the Roman Empire didn't know anything about the commonwealth of Israel. They didn't know anything about temple worship. They didn't know anything about Psalms. They didn't know anything about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They didn't know anything about covenants. They didn't know any of that. We're aliens. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus Christ, Yeshua, the Messiah, which we sang about today. He brought the Gentiles in, the Jewish Messiah, through his blood. He himself is our peace. Verse 14, he's made both one. Jew and Gentile, my wife and I. But the church, you know, the Jews are the fathers. They're the patriarchs. They're the older brother. They were, they, it was all one. That's, Look what Paul, he's, Paul's writing it. It's, it's our theology. In Ephesus, there were Jews and Gentiles in that great revival up in Ephesus. So he says, he himself is our peace and made both one, broken down the middle wall. Verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the law of ordinances and so on, and made in himself one new man, new, kainos. 
When I met Jesus, I became a new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, all things were new. Pure, virginal, never before touched. That's what the word means. A new man. But now I married her. We're a, we're a new unit. Hallelujah. <laughs> She's still a Jew and I'm a Gentile, but we're one. Hallelujah. That's the way the church was supposed to be. The Jews are the repository of all this church, all this truth, and they all went out and got crucified and killed and martyred to give it to the Gentiles. That's how it all started. Now look what he says. Verse 16, and they might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the hatred. Our Arab pastor on our DVD and he testifies. He hated the Jews. Then he met Jesus. The Lord showed him this scripture. And he said, if this hatred is alive, it needs to be killed. And he said, kill it. Now he went to Auschwitz with our Jewish pastor. They're both in their 30s. They're both from Haifa. They're, one's a Jew and one's an Arab. They are the one new man. And they went to Auschwitz together because our Arab pastor, Joseph, as his name said, I want to see what my Jewish brothers went through because I don't know enough about it. He broke down the wall of division. Any division you're going through in a marriage or what? Listen, if he can break down the wall of division between Isaac and Ishmael, he can break down any division. It's the longest running family feud in history. Now listen, the covenants come through Isaac, but there are tremendous promises for the Arab people through Ishmael and Hagar. You read it. I mean, well, just look at, just get out a map and look at it. Gigantic oil and power and, and so on. Okay, so let's go on. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were, who were, were near. Verse 17. Verse uh, 22. In whom also you are being built together a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. Now look at chapter 3, verse 1. Remember there was no chapters when it was written. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you non-Jews. Hallelujah. I mean, that beat up little Jew would walk into a town with then his back stripped and beaten and almost drowned and starved and stoned to death and then got up and Lister and went in and said, anybody want to be an elder? I mean, that guy, that guy breathed the power of the Holy Spirit. And he would go into a town and go into a synagogue. It was the Jew first. So he'd get the scroll, he'd read it, Isaiah 61. This is about Yeshua. I, I know all about him. He appeared to me on the Damascus Road. Some of them believed, some of them didn't. Then the Gentiles came, planted a church. It was Jews and Gentiles. Everywhere he went. It's just, it's just there. I mean, it's undeniable. So then, verse 6. That, verse 3. 3-3. Three, three. How that by the revelation he made known the mystery as I've already written to you. Look at verse 6. What is the mystery? That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs in the same body and partakers of the promises in Messiah through the gospel. Verse 9, and make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Look at verse 10, to the intent. Why is God doing Jew and Gentile together? 
that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. The power of God that rested on the first century church was Jews and non-Jews worshiping Jesus in spirit and in truth. It changed the Roman Empire. It turned it upside down. And they didn't have emails and iPhones. and They had sandals and, and blisters and, and boats. And, and they went and preached and changed the empire. And God wants to do it again. Look, it's the stewardship of the mystery is what it says. I'm a steward. Okay? A steward is a waiter. I'm simply come and say, here, it's the one new man. It's always been Jew and Gentile. I deliver it to you. I'm like the guy that brings the pizza here, you know, here, open it up. That's the mystery. This is what Paul says. It was a mystery to him. I mean, he'd been an Orthodox Jew. He was a rabbi. Imagine when he said, when the Lord said, now go and t tell the Gentiles about the Jewish Messiah. But he went, just like Peter. He was always Jew and Gentile. Turn to Jeremiah 31 for a moment. Jeremiah 31. <clears throat> when Karen and I moved to Israel, an amazing thing happened. The Soviet Union collapsed. Boom. Back came a million, million Russian Jews. We knew it was going to happen because it's written. I know people that walked around the Kremlin and prayed for it. I know a man that wrote a book and prophesied, Exodus 2. Well, it happened. All of a sudden, Russians were everywhere. Getting off the boat at Haifa, we'd sit on the porch at Mount, uh, uh, House of Victory looking. The, here they came from Odessa. The Ukrainian security people had taken all their money and taken all their watches and wedding rings and they had plastic bags. But here they came. And we knew why they were coming. Because they were going to meet their Messiah on the mountains of Israel. Hallelujah. We lived through this. We saw it. It's still happening. Now, look at, look at uh, Isaiah 31, verse 3. This is in its, in its context is to the Jews. It's called, of course, it's also for you if you're a born-again believer. The Lord has appeared of old to me saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. God's love, long-suffering for the Jewish people is so, it's, he's their husband. I was a father to Ephraim. Any father here ever had a rebellious teenager? Well, how would you feel if it was going on for 4,000 years and it was millions? I mean, imagine what the father's heart is. But now, in this day, they're coming back. He's regathering them. He's restoring them. They're going to repent. There's going to be a, a renewal of the Holy Spirit like we've never seen. Paul says it'll be life from the dead. Now, in our day, at this moment. So look what he says. Again, I will build you. Verse 4. And you shall be rebuilt, O virgin of Israel. You shall be adorned with your tambourines. Here she is. She's got her tambourine. Hallelujah. We dance on the mountains of Israel. Praise the Lord. You come and join us. We'll get you dancing too. Praise the We got to dance in Israel. I mean, what we're facing over there, we, it, it, we just praise the, everything that has breath. Praise the Lord. Put him under your feet. Hallelujah. <laughs> okay. What do you do about this? Look at verse 7. For thus says the Lord, sing with gladness for Jacob. Do it. 
We were singing, Awake, O Israel! Imagine this, this roar going up into the heavenlies. God will do something with it. Shout among the chief of the nations. America is the chief of the nations, at least for now. I won't go into that. But I'll tell you this. Anyone who divides the nation of Israel, any government, look out. All you have to do is look at the history. Anyone who divides Jerusalem, you pray for your government. Pray for Condoleezza Rice. You pray, pray for President George Bush. They're believers. I've read their testimony. Pray, you know, pray for America. Because God is called the recompense of God for the cause of Zion. God will judge the Jews, but God forbid that some nation starts having us make a suicide pact with an enemy that wants to drive us into the sea. Okay. Proclaim and give praise to the Lord. Save your people, the remnant of Israel. That's what the church needs to do. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Peace in Hebrew, shalom, means something that's been purchased. It means the salvation of the Jews and Arabs of Israel. Pray for the peace, the shalom. You can't have shalom with God unless you're right with Him. The wicked, there is no shalom. They will bless. You will be blessed. Who love Jerusalem, who care about the Jewish people. Now look at verse 8. I will bring them from the north country. They came. <laughs> we were sitting there. We saw this. And gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them the blind, the lame, the woman with child. A great throng will come there. Oh, I can tell you stories of drug addicts that were living on the streets. Their sores running out of... One of them was an artist, and Stalin had sent thousands of Jews out to Siberia to die. And, and, and uh, he lived out there with all those Jews. He, but when uh, uh, the Soviet Union collapsed, he was able to come to, to Haifa. He got saved. His marriage got restored. He now has a child. He lives a block from me and Karen. He works at House of Victory. He's, he's a fulfillment of all this. He found furniture on the streets, and he, he's an artist, and he fixed it all up, and he loves to have us to dinner there, and his wife cook for us, and they have a decent life. It's the fulfillment of these scriptures. He said, I will bring them back from the, to the mountains of Israel, Ezekiel 36. I will pour clean water on them. I'll put my spirit in them. I'll cause them to walk in my ways, and then New York will know. And then all the nations round about will know that I'm the Lord. Of course, that's New Covenant theology. That's for you. But it's for us, too. And it's happening today. I did a wedding once. A young lady came to the Lord, a Jewish woman. She married one of our workers at the House of Victory. He was, he, he's an American. She's a Jew. He's not a Jew. He's a one new man. Hallelujah. We're, we're doing the wedding. The, uh, the, the mountain of, of uh, Carmel is there. The Mediterranean Sea is there. It's out of doors. And as I'm doing the wedding, I'm looking at 300 Jews that don't know the Lord and about 100 of our people. And the Holy Spirit said, preach the gospel to them. So I started telling them about Nicodemus and the new birth, and she came back, and, and the, she's been, has clean water, and the Holy Spirit's in her, and, and they're sitting there like, what kind of wedding is this? Her father's sitting in the front seat, and he paid for it, right? His name's Mordecai. Wait, wait a minute, well, li listen what happened. <laughs> More... The, the dancing at that wedding was our worship team singing, Yeshua, Jesus. It was a prophetic wedding. Mordecai holds up the cup to bless his, his daughter, 
and you go Lachaim, which means to life, and Mordecai stands up on the platform of the microphone and says, Lachaim and Hallelujah! <laughs> means praise Jehovah. You know what happened? She calls me and she said, you remember my, my father Mordecai? I said, how can I forget him? Lachaim and Hallelujah. <laughs> By the way, he was, a, he was a tax collector at the port of Haifa. Jesus loves the tax collectors, amen? She said, he's watching the video of the wedding and now he believes in Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. This is happening. He says, I will cut a new covenant with the house of Judah and with the house of Israel. Of course, it's the new covenant we celebrated, but it's for them and they think it's some Christian thing. We had a drug addict at House of Victory years ago. Her name is Bracha, which means blessing. She was a hardcore heroin addict. We read Jeremiah 31, 31. She said, ah, I was speaking Hebrew. She said, ah, oh, that's the Christian Bible. I said, here, read the, gave her an army Bible. Here, read this. She read it. She got saved. She said, it's my Bible. It's my, it's to us. A couple years ago, I was at a wedding. The lady comes up to me and she says, do you remember me? And I said, yeah, you're Bracha. How you doing? She said, I'm still walking with Yeshua, Jesus. <laughs> My husband's a believer, this is it, and these are my two daughters. I'm telling you, these scriptures are being fulfilled today. Now, let me ask you something. If it all started with the one new man, how did it get lost? What happened? In 325 AD, Constantine, the emperor, they had a big council called the Council of Nicaea. They would not allow, there were Jew, Jewish leaders all through the congregations, all over the Middle East. In Europe, they wouldn't let him come. They put him out. He was anti-Semitic. So the, the creed, the Nicaean creed, which maybe you remember as a, as a kid was written, has nothing to do with the whole Jewishness of how all this happened. And you know what? When they put the Jews out of the church, it was the first, and I believe, most grievous split. How many denominations are there now? I read somewhere that there's 200,000. Could that be true? Shortly after the, the council at Nicaea, you know what happened to the Roman Empire? It split right down the middle. Constantinople but then became Istanbul. Islam overran the Middle East. They lost the power of God. They lost the word of God. They lost the moving of the Holy Spirit. They put the Jews out. And the church descended into the Dark Ages. And the Jews became the scapegoat, the people that had brought the light. In Norwich, England, a lie started. Well, he, Constantine changed the, the, the calendar so, and created Easter. Now, we celebrate Resurrection Day, but it's, it's at Passover. That's, read, read the New Testament. Jesus was the Lamb of God who died, slain before the foundation of the world there, Killing the Passover lambs and, you know, he was raised from the dead after three days. It said Passover. We, we call it Resurrection Day. But Easter was put in the new Roman calendar. It's so many days after the vernal equinox or something like that or the suns. And all, because Constantine was bringing all of this pagan stuff into the church. And so Easter is named after the god Ishtar, a Babylonian Roman god. 
So we don't call it Easter. But you know why it's difficult for Jews? Because it was at Easter for centuries. The lie went forth from Norwich, England, that Orthodox Jews kill Christian children, take their blood, make matzah, the unleavened bread that we eat at celebrating the Passover, and they're demonic. So what happened? Jews were hounded, slaughtered, anger, incitement, mass, mass murders. One of the founding fathers of the church in those days, the greatest preacher of his day, listen to what he said. They're, the Jews are worse than wild beasts. They worship avenging, the avenging angels. They're men possessed by the devil. They have the manners of a pig and lusty goat. They kill and maim one another. You think, okay, well, that was the Roman version of the church. Well, let me read you another one. Destroy their homes. Forbid rabbis to teach. Tear their tongues out through the back of their necks. If they teach... It will be pain of death and life or limb. You know who wrote that? Martin Luther. Just before he died. Now you think, well, what does this have to do with that? You see, the Jews were put out. You know, it's too painful to go through it. Hitler quoted this. Hitler said, this is our faith, this, this, this is the national church of, of Germany. He quoted it. He said, well, that's, that's what the founder said. You know that as, as six million Jews were systematically slaughtered, you know, the crusaders came to Jerusalem and burned all the Jews in the synagogue and walked around with crosses singing, Christ, we adore thee. The Jews know that. We learn it in the schools. It's history. Not only that, they killed every Jew they could find as they went across Europe. And they chanted, kill a Jew and go to heaven. Christians, people that called themselves, carried crosses, sang hymns. At one of the camps on Christmas Eve, all the, the guards were in the barracks singing Christmas carols. As the Jewish women were taken into the gas chambers... And children were ripped away from them and burned alive in a fire outside the chambers to save a little gas. And so the women, as they died, they heard this. Silent night, holy night. There should be a gasp if you don't know these things. This is what the church so-called Christians, have done to the Jews when it should have been Jews and Gentiles. It didn't have to be this way. But now, whoo, thank God for the nows. Now, now, where is the church going to stand? What will the church do in these end times? The true church of Jesus Christ. In the dark ages, they neglected or they rejected the prophetic word of God that Peter was talking about. It's right there to read. 
So when finally people were burned at the stake and we got the Bible, like Wycliffe and Tyndale and people like that, John Huss and others, and British people read the Bible and the Puritans got and said, look at this, they're going back to the land. They're going to meet him on the mountains of Israel. There was this pure stream that was really... There's always been a torch of the testimony. You can find it. Now, I have a book called The Torch of the Testimony that traces the true church throughout all the dark ages and so on. But now, what are you going to do about it? What is the church going to do about it? I'm convinced. I was telling Pastor Carter, there is a divine mandate, especially on Times Square Church. Why? You are in a city where there are more Jews than any place in the world, than anywhere except Israel. They're all around you. I look at the picture of these three guys, and we're singing, Oh, awake, O Israel. I'm saying, Lord, pour your spirit out on those rabbis and let them start dancing and meeting their Messiah. It happened to Paul. Why can't it happen to others? Praise the Lord. God is looking at his church and saying, where will you stand in these last days? The Lord wants to rekindle what was lost and release the simplicity and the purity and the power of the first century church. That's all we're trying to do in Israel. Get, get back to the way it was supposed to be. And the glory of the latter house is greater than the first house. Hallelujah. Now, I'm going to end with Zechariah chapter 4. We don't have time to turn there. But you study it when you go home. Zechariah chapter 4. He wakes up the, the prophet and says, what do you see? And Zechariah says, I see one of these. A seven-branch golden candlestick. We call it a menorah in Hebrew. He knew what it represented. It represents the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You know, in the Old Testament and New Testament, seven spirits before the throne of God. It represented the fullness because the priests had to keep it lit 24 hours a day in the temple. The first one was made by a name named Bezalel in, in the tabernacle in the wilderness, had this awesome anointing and made it out of one piece of beaten, purified gold. So that's, that prophet knew about that. But on each side, he saw an olive tree. So he said, what are these, my Lord? And the Holy Spirit keeps speaking to him, and he says things like this. It's not by might, it's not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of armies. Now, I know you love that scripture, and I love it. He heard it for the first time. Because Zerubbabel had stopped building the temple. And so the Lord was prophesying to the prophet, you tell him to finish the house. God wants to finish his church so he can come back. So he says, it's not by might, not by, and he says, it's grace, grace, grace. This mountain will be removed. Don't despise the day of small beginning. All these wonderful truths that feed us in our walk with the Lord. And he keeps saying, but what are the two olive trees? He said, don't you know? Three times he sees two olive branches from the two trees pouring golden oil into the bowls that keep, keep the candles lit. We know what that is. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So he sees that and he says, what are these? And the Lord speaks to him and here's what he says at the end of Zechariah 4. These are the sons or daughters of fresh oil who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. It's not just about Israel, Jewish prophet. It's the whole world I'm talking about. 
Now he knows what one of the olive trees was. It's Israel. Because it says so in the Old Testament. What's the other olive tree? He didn't know who the second olive tree was. But we should. Because the best commentary in the Old Testament is the New Testament. Let me quickly read it to you as we finish here. I'm going to read Romans 11. Chapter 24. Uh, Romans 11, uh, verse 24, excuse me. Romans eleven twenty four. The Word of God. If you were cut out of an olive tree which was wild by nature, he's talking to non-Jews. I'm a wild olive tree. Hallelujah, I admit it. And we're grafted contrary to nature, and it was contrary to my physical nature when the Lord got a hold of me. Into a cultivated olive tree. Here's my cultivated olive tree. Hallelujah. The Jews. Why are they cultivated? Because they had the word. They had the temple worship and all the, the Gentiles did. How much more will those who are natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree? They're coming back into the tree. The Jews. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. It's a mystery, but now it's revealed to us. That don't be wise in your own opinion. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until. Here's another until. The fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it's written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant I will make with them when I take away their sins. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. The call of God on Israel is irrevocable. That's what the context is all about. Now, the, the fullness of the Gentiles, yes, it can mean, pleroma can, can mean the full number, but it also means the fullness of the spiritual life of God's true church. Are you part of it? These two olive trees. Now, I'm going to ask two olive trees to come over here for for a moment. Karen, why don't you come? Here comes my cultivated olive tree. And Pastor Carter, you'll have to forgive me. You'll have to argue this out with the Apostle Paul. He, he called you a wild olive tree. He was a policeman. He wasn't that wild. <laughs> so what we're going to do here is we're going to... The two olive trees. This is the church. How do we know that? Revelations chapter 1. There's seven of them. Jesus is standing in the middle of it. This is the church, the true church. It's Jew and Gentile. If you want the all seven, I mean, you can have three if you want. But if you want all seven, I mean, we need you. And you need, you need to, you know, get your arms around the revelation that, that the Jews are coming in to get the fullness of what God has for, for your, your life and your church. So, Karen, why don't you light three of these first? It's to the Jew first, okay? Here come the Jews. <laughs> Here come the Gentiles now. <laughs> almost, 
almost didn't make it. Let's put our hands together and light the, the middle one. Okay. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. Let me, let me say one more thing as we close here. This represents the full anointing of the Church of Jesus Christ in the last days. You need the fullness for your life. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the Mount of Olives where he's coming back, as he wept, as he fell on his face, as his men fell asleep, he was in a place called Gethsemane in Hebrew, got Shemin, it means oil press. It was a, they carved out a stone thing and they, they shook the trees and they got the olives and they put them in there and families took off their feet and they carefully pressed the olives. We have olive trees around our building on Mount Carmel and at uh, House of Victory. You know, we do this. And uh, so you got pure olive oil, which is the anointing. Now listen to me. He was crushed for our iniquities. He went through that on the Mount of Olives that you could be a green olive tree in the house of the Lord. Even in old age, it says, hallelujah, flourishing. Now, I know you need a new anointing. You need a new anointing to even absorb some of what you've heard today. But besides that, the Lord wants to give you a fresh touch of his Holy Spirit. If dead flies in a perfumer's oil make it smell bad, it's sin. If you need to be set free from anything, if you've been struggling with anything, and you want to just for a couple of moments have God really get a hold of you, I'm going to ask you to, let's all stand. I'm going to ask you to come down here quickly. We're going to pray over you. And we want to seal that the whole church will get the revelation of this one new man and the two olive trees. If you're desperate for a new anointing and you haven't experienced victory in any area of your life, you just come quickly. If you don't know Jesus, come. You can meet him right here, right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the anointing, Lord. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. Lord, I ask you that you will release upon everyone here a desperation for more of you, Jesus. You tell Jesus you love him now. If you don't know him, tell him you love him and you want to know him. Just tell him you love him. Let's, be, let's pray this prayer out together. Lord Jesus, I love you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for what you went through in the garden. Thank you that you were crushed for my sins. Forgive all of my sins. Set me free. Fill me with your spirit. In a new way. I want a song in the night. I want to worship you in spirit and in truth in all the darkness around my life. 
Now let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, you see these people. You brought them here today to this beautiful place. Don't let anyone leave here without having received an impartation of your love, your faithfulness. You've been faithful to Israel and you're faithful to us. We can walk with you. We can endure to the end through you, Lord. Lord, impart into each one, supernaturally, by your Spirit, fresh oil. Make us all sons and daughters of fresh oil who will stand with the Lord of the whole earth in these last days, even like these two olive trees. And I pray over Times Square Church that all seven, the fullness of God's destiny for this church will be released in such measure as they stand with Israel, as they cry out for the Muslims, as they stand for the nations and the, and the, the city of New York and all the other things you've put upon them, Lord. Thank you that you have brought us together as Jew and Gentile in one body, a dwelling place for God and the Spirit. May the mandate from heaven be picked up. And may you release the fullness to this church that's been in your heart before the foundation of the world. In Jesus' wonderful, wonderful name. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's worship him. Just, kadosh, just take a minute. Kadosh, kadosh. Kadosh, holy. Holy, holy, We're holy. We're singing with the, the angels. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Hallelujah. Kadosh, holy. Kadosh. 